The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Dynamic Healing with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal. Just breathe and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain. Hello, everybody. Um, My name is David Hanscom. I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon who has retired from his practice to really try to bring a message of healing to the world. And Dr. Les Ari and I do this podcast together on a weekly basis. And Dr. Ari today is tied up. He may or may not show up halfway through. When he does, I will give him a very hard time, but we'll talk about that later. But we're super excited to have um, Lynn McTaggart. And she's introduced me to a person by the name of Beth Grossman. And she's one of the central authorities on the new science of consciousness and is the award-winning author of seven books, including the worldwide bestsellers called The Field, The Intention Experiment, and The Power of Eight. She's also the co-founder of the international magazine, What Doctors Don't Tell You, The Health Expo, Get Well, and the architect of the the Intention Experiments, a web-based global laboratory to test the power of intention to heal the world. So Lynn, welcome. Very excited to have you on the show. Thank you. It's lovely to be here with you. And what I'm really interested in your perspective, because what's happened in medicine is that for centuries, doctors have been able to connect with patients and develop a relationship that's a healing bond. It's been very powerful. And when we didn't have the technology, that's all we had, but it was very effective. In 1927, Dr. Francis Peabody Peabody gave a famous lecture to medical students about the care of the patient. And his last line was, the secret of care is caring for the patients. So then I know you're friends with Bruce Lipton, and so am I. And I've heard about Bruce for years, about the power of belief or the biology of belief, et cetera. And I sort of listened to it, and I'm a surgeon. I sort of ignored it. And what I've now learned through my own experience with chronic disease and chronic illness and healing, that the mind is the most powerful healing component that we have. And we don't know much about it. And for us to try to quantitate it and do human term is almost a disrespect to the power of consciousness, the power of the universe, the power of the mind. So actually tapping into that collective consciousness is a huge healing factor. And as you well know, medicine has sort of gone the wrong direction. So Lynn and I talked for a second before the podcast started, and we've elected not to go to the dark side. <laughs> we're going to tell it because we're, I'm, I'm so excited as a surgeon 
to see people heal that have no hope. And Bruce Lipton's work, Lynn's work, and people along with her have learned the power of healing and all of us know how to heal ourselves. So then I'm just curious as far as your background, how you, you're a science writer for a while. No, I am a science writer. Uh, okay. <laughs> I started out life as an investigative reporter, David. Okay. Um, I was one of those people in my, you know, when I first started out with hidden tape recorders, uh, my first book was all about busting international baby selling rings. Wow. You know, I was going to put the bad guys in jail, but that investigative streak in me has never left me. Okay. And I moved over into science and consciousness um, when I wanted to find out how come spiritual healing works, this was in the 1990s, I kept finding very good studies of spiritual healing. And when I thought about it, I thought, wait a minute, we're talking about somebody sending a thought to someone else and making them better. Now, that alone undermines everything we think about how our biology works. And so I set about trying to find out whether there was such a thing as human energy fields. And in the process, I came across numerous uh, quantum physicists, biologists, um, uh, uh, scientists who were on the frontier of consciousness research. And each of them had discovered a little patch of what was compounding into a new science, a new view of the world. And from that, I wrote my book, The Field, but I carried on in this area because there was lots of unfinished business. I mean, first of all, there were many scientific studies showing that thoughts are essentially trespassers. They can go out and affect other people and things, and they can affect our own bodies. And I kept thinking about that and saying, well, how far can we go? You know, can we cure cancer with our thoughts? Can we fly up on top of our roofs with our thoughts? And also what happens when lots of people are, are thinking the same thing at the same time? And so that's when I started the intention experiment, testing the power of thought with large group of people. Um, I have readers around the world, so I corral them every so often and work with a distinguished scientist at one of a number of prestigious universities, and we set up a controlled trial to test that. So that's how I made the foray into this work. And in <clears throat> trying to scale that down, we've done 40 such experiments, everything from trying to purify water to making seeds grow faster, to lowering violence in war-torn or violent areas, to healing a patient of, of post-traumatic stress disorder. And of the 40, 36 have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant effects. So there's no drug out there, as you well know, that has that kind of consistent track record. Right. So in scaling it down, I started working with small groups, just groups of about eight. And I found that with group intention, there were miraculous healings. And I've now witnessed thousands of them. I've recorded thousands of them. I've filmed thousands of them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I am of the firm belief that we have the inner capacity to heal, that our science, current view of the body and the world needs to be replaced by a new science. And that we increase this power, we supersize this power with small groups. 
Well, we've had the same experience. We've run workshops and we've had groups anywhere from 10 to 30, and we actually do a twice a week group meeting. And, you know, it's interesting the last 10 years, maybe last 20 years, is that <clears throat> this is not new science. I mean, you're tapping into the body's capacity to heal. And from an evolutionary standpoint, the body has to be able to heal to survive. And we also know that thoughts are processed in the same part of the brain as physical threats, when pleasant thoughts and physical threats are processed the same way. And what the, neuros what the neuroscience is showing, let's take one study out of Texas that shows, um, first of all, chronic diseases and inflammatory metabolic disorder. And so when you have unpleasant thoughts and they're disconnected, why your body is inflamed. And, and the essence of chronic disease is chronic exposure to threat physiology and the heal, essence of healing is creating safety. So physicians tend to use the word placebo as a pejorative term, and it's by far the most powerful part of the healing possible. In fact, there's some data for Freeman debate that everything we do, medication, surgery, everything is a result of harnessing the placebo effect. So we'd like to find another word for that word because it's got a negative connotation but it is by far and the way most powerful healing power in the body. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. It, I mean, I love the work of uh, Ted Kapchuk, who is at Harvard University, and he's done many studies of the placebo effect. And one of my favorites is when he took a group of patients with carpal tunnel syndrome, and he gave one half a pill and the medication and the other half acupuncture. And about a third of the patients suffered such severe side effects that they had to take to their beds. But the other two thirds mainly got better. But here's the great kicker of that study. Um, the people who got the pill were getting cornstarch and the people who had acupuncture was just sham acupuncture. So the bottom line of that study, which is so true of so many placebo studies, is that what you believe is going to happen is what happens. So the right. people who thought they were going to have a side effect did. The people who thought they were going to get better did, no matter that they weren't getting any kind of medication at all. And the more I look at the power of the mind, the more I realize, as you said, it is the single most important element in healing. And I've come to believe that thoughts and words of the doctor and thoughts and words of the patient are instrumental and essential in the healing. And of course, <clears throat> the irony of that, David, is that so many physicians and practitioners, conventional and alternative practitioners, practitioners are terrible in their languaging to patients. I actually started using this as material because I teach a course called Become a Better Healing Healer with the Power of Eight, because I started noticing how bad um, practitioners are in communicating things to their patients in terms of positivity. So I started taking notes when I had a condition, I had uh, issues with hip dysplasia, uh, you know, a, a genetic issue right. that <clears throat> I managed to override for many, many decades and finally couldn't in the last batch of years. So I started going to alternative practitioners um, 
considering always surgery as the very last resort. And I was shocked by all of these otherwise great practitioners in their languaging. Everything, I started taking notes about it because people were saying things like, it's gonna be a long, slow, painful process. Or, um, gee, I wonder if you're still gonna be lame if we give you this, negative, negative, negative. And my favorite, you're a shadow of your former self. And I kept thinking to myself, what am I doing with that? And luckily I'm you know, a fairly ornery person. So I ignored them and I'm now completely better. But, <clears throat> but it started me thinking about the relationship of the doctor with his patient and how the mental process has to be very central. And the person I ultimately went to who helped to heal me said to me, I said, what can I do after all of this? And she said, what can I do? And she said, skydiving maybe? So I said, yes. She had me at skydiving because I thought, yes. I started imagining all those things I was gonna do again, all of those things. And it's true. Those are all the things that I do again. So this was so central to me, the thoughts. And probably because of her, I had no pain during any of that procedure. And I, I really believe that the intention I had and her intention was the central element. And I see that all the time. I mean, there's another brilliant study that looked at 200 patients given a placebo and they were all, I think in some sort of pain. And they found that when the big difference was how the doctor approached it. So if the doctor said, this is gonna make you feel better, this is gonna make you better, something like 64%, nearly two thirds, got better as a result with this placebo. Some other doctors said, I'm not sure this is gonna work. And only 39% of the patients got better. So it was so central. The doctor's um, positivity was one of the key factors to make them better. Well, what we found out in big general broad breaststroke terms is that if the body's getting hues of safety, <clears throat> you're getting anti-inflammatory proteins called cytokines, your metabolism, metabolism slows down and you regenerate and increase your fuel supply. Um, heart rate slows down, everything slows down and you heal in safety. And in threat, while you're, everything's the opposite, you inflammation, you're consuming fuel, your body's on hyper alert, your brain itself actually throws off inflammatory proteins called cytokines. So your brain itself is actually inflamed. So we have, for instance, we know fear of pain actually makes the pain worse. So the thing is what's missing in medicine is that your belief systems actually change your body's chemistry and physiology. Absolutely. And it's documented not in hundreds of research papers, but actually in thousands of research papers, it's deep science. Somehow it's never reached clinical awareness. And so tapping into that capacity for the body to heal itself is the essence of medicine. And again, in 1927, Dr. Peabody gave this lecture. He was concerned about the interference of technology with the doctor-patient relationship. And he just, when you read his five-page lecture in 1927, he just nails modern neuroscience down cold. So I just want to just mention the works. I want to go in more of the healing factors that you think help people heal. So as you know, this was called the nocebo effect. If your doctor comes in and tells you that you have a spine of an 80-year-old, it, it scares you. And it's inflammatory. And you actually do hurt. 
And on top of that, we also know medically that there's no connection between disc degeneration, bone spurs, and arthritis with pain, none. So just one quick example out of New York, there's a now a friend of mine who mid forties, very successful, was told 10 years ago by a surgeon that he had the spine of an 80 year old. He went to every resource in the world to try to solve the problem. And he worked with a principle that you and I both share about understanding that's really, he's fine. There's really no problem with the spine. And it was a very normal spine. And he went through some of the process, processes we do to sort of calm down, relax, drop down the inflammation, his pain disappeared. After nine solid years, he's been pain-free now for a couple of years. So um, we use the word miraculous healing, but, you're, but I mean, the, life is a miracle. Right. I mean, who knows why we're here? We know consciousness is a miracle. So doctors say, OK, there's something wrong with you. By the way, we can fix you with this. And it's going to cost this. So medicine has become very predatory. But let's let that aside for a second. I will say being trapped in a chronic disease, I, anxiety, physical symptoms, mental symptoms, it has the same common scientific basis. But I call it the abyss because you're trapped. And when you open the door and look at possibilities and connect to possibilities, your body's physiology changes and you can heal. So what I'm curious about is that you clearly tapped into this process um, of healing. And I don't like the word alternative medicine anymore because I call mainstream medicine right now disintegrated medicine. And um, you know, integrated medicine and alternative medicine is way closer to the healing process. And we, we have no data. Mainstream medicine has no data for what we're doing. And I'll just talk about spine surgery for a second. But doing a fusion for back pain is just not, it doesn't work. The success rate is 20%. So we have no data. So as you tap into the body's capacity to heal, it's very, very powerful. And medicine doesn't like the words that you're using. And I know you're friends with Bruce Lipton, and so am I. But your belief systems actually change your body's physiology. So I'm curious, some of the approaches that you personally found helpful, how you help your clients, what was the general perspective of um, what, um, what we're doing? Okay, so <clears throat> I mentioned my, my intention experiment, which was just testing the limits of the power of thought and continues to test the limits of the power of thought. Around 2008, during a workshop, I decided, I, well, before I ran the workshop, I was kicking around the idea of shrinking it all down because I, with the intention experiments, I enlist readers around the world to take part in this big experiment. But I wanted to know what would happen if I had small groups of intenders doing an intention for someone. And so I was kicking it around with my husband and I said, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll put them into groups of eight or so and have them send healing intention to a member of the group with a health challenge. And he said, I love it, the power of eight. He's also a journalist and a, and a, a headline, a good headline writer. So that's how it was born. So I did this in my first workshop in Chicago, not expecting much. I thought it was gonna be a nice little feel good effect, you know, almost like getting your, somebody to massage your back. Right. So the next morning I had people come back the, the workshop came back and I said, okay, let's hear from the people who got the intention. What happened? Anything? Again, expecting, oh, it's gonna, it felt like a facial. And they stood up and said things like this. 
I've had depression all of my life and I feel it's completely lifted. Somebody else said, I, I have terrible arthritis and I'm walking, I walked in normally today. Somebody else said, I have cataracts and they're 80% better. And on and on it went. My husband and I sat there with our mouths open. We just did not know what to expect here. And it also terrified me because remember, I was just testing with giant scientific experiments and suddenly here were people being healed after 10 minutes. So I didn't know what to do with it. I kept doing it in workshops and now I've worked with thousands of people and also quantified what seems to work and what doesn't work. And I teach people a batch of techniques for really focusing their intention, but it's, it's, there are a number of things that are involved in these healing intentions. Number one is the power of our thoughts. There's no question, there's so many papers, there's so much scientific evidence showing that thoughts are not only things, but things that affect other things. Everything from single-celled organisms to gerbils on activity wheels to you know, full-fledged human beings. Our thoughts can affect other things, we know this, but there's also, so there's an intention and the power of intention. There's a group effect that's happening here. You know, the French psychologist, Emile Durkheim talked about um, collective effervescence, the collective effervescence of the group, a kind of uh, just a lifting that a group experience creates. But there's also a big piece here is altruism. When you look at the science of altruism, it's like a bulletproof vest. People who do anything for other people in an altruistic fashion for no expectation of re return, whether they're volunteers or they're taking out their neighbor's garbage, live longer, healthier, happier lives. If you're ill with some condition and you help someone else with the same condition, you are more likely to heal yourself. People who focus obsessively on the self are the opposite. They have all of that anxiety and its physiological processes that you described. So altruism is really powerful here. You have a group of strangers doing what it amounts to a secular form of prayer for you. That is very, very healing. That is very safe making. And, I've, and you also have, um, a collective sense of oneness. Now we've done neuroscience studies, neuroscientist studies on these power of eight groups. I've worked with Life University, which I'm sure as you know, is one of the largest and most prestigious chiropractic universities in the world. And they put their neuroscience department at my disposal. They were interested in these power of eight groups. And we found very quickly that we were really surprised. We thought, we put an EEG cap on a member of one of the senders in a batch of the groups, seven groups I think we worked on. We thought it was going to have a brainwave signature virtually identical to meditation. It was nothing like that. It was completely the opposite. These brainwave signatures were actually far more like, almost identical to the work of the University of Pennsylvania's then University of Pennsylvania's Dr. Andrew Newberg, who studied Buddhist monks during ecstatic prayer and Sufi masters during chanting. That's what they look like. 
lowering of the parietal lobes, the parts of the brain that make us feel separate, um, lowering of pretty much every kind of brain wave, but particularly in the right frontal lobes, parts of the brain involved in worry, doubt, negativity, anxiety, all dialed way down. These were the brainwave signatures of people in a state of ecstatic oneness. And that's what people report all the time with our power of eight groups. So when you have all of those factors and then a little X factor of <laughs> something we don't completely understand, you have a situation of people in a state of connection, ecstatic oneness, they're feeling our natural state. We know we're all part of a quantum energy field, but we have been programmed to, to understand the world in terms of individualism, separateness, and in fact, competitive individualism. So people are experiencing a very different state. And I think that all of that is what is healing. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You know, I could talk to you for days about this. <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to know where to start because I will tell you, just look at a research paper, two research papers yesterday on the science of altruism, and it lowers inflammatory markers. Period. Slows down metabolism, lowers inflammation. Doctor, do you know Doctor Stephen Cole out of UCLA by chance? So he's yeah. gone to the. You, you do know him? No, I don't. Oh yeah. So he and Naomi Eisenberger have documented that thoughts and emotions are processed in the same part of the brain as physical threats. Same area, same response, same thing. But what he also found out that if you there's a process called I'm sorry, there's a white blood cell which consumes viruses and bacteria called a monocyte. And so there's a production of what's called warrior monocytes that are like puppies. In other words, they destroy the viruses and bacteria, but they also destroy your own tissues. So it goes right down to the genome, the DNA. And there's two factors that actually cause the production of these warrior monocytes, which are very destructive. Number one was social isolation. Number one, 
flat out at the genomic level, your social isolation caused a production of these warrior monocytes. The second thing was chronic stress. And you know, I use the word anxiety for stress, which is just a activated physiological response. And they flat out created this production of warrior monocytes. So again, it's a physiological issue, not psychological, and you're tapping into the body's capacity to damage itself and also to heal. Um, so it's amazing. And then Dr. Dandrigan found out the four things that decrease inflammatory markers are um, optimism or hope, um, a sense of control, a positive attitude, and again, social connection, all lower inflammatory markers. But the one thing I wanna say, which is really critical on Dr. Cole's lab again, is that they looked at people who lived like with sort of a hedonic, you know, self-centered attitude. Yeah. And the inflammatory markers went straight up. Yeah. And if you live life with a sense of connection, passion, and purpose, the inflammatory markers went straight down. It wasn't two slopes of a graph. It was straight up versus straight down. It was unbelievable. So again, tapping into this healing capacity, it's not it's way more scientific than what we're doing in mainstream medicine because most symptoms are physiological, not structural. And somehow we put 90% structural by not acknowledging this capacity to heal is a big deal. And also this word connection is a huge deal because we are disconnected and you gotta connect to what is. And that's why this doctor patient relationship is so critical because I have my approach, you have your approach, everybody has approaches, but in medicine, we're disconnected. And again, if we don't have that connection with the patient, the rest of the things we do just don't matter that much. I mean, that's sort of the trump card. You've got to connect with your patient. You have to listen. They have to be heard. You have to feel validated. So I'm also curious, you went through a situation yourself, going through the medical profession in different ways. And if you just spend a second just echoing what it's like to be bounced around and getting all sorts of negative messages, because what happens that nocebo effect is pretty deadly because the body responds as powerfully to the negative messaging as it does to the positive. One thing, great question. It was, I went to 16 different people. How many? And what I did and had to do was despite them, and I'm talking about many people in the holistic field, what right. I had to do despite them was to hold on to, and I did with every cell of my body, the certainty that I was going to be healed. I knew I was going to be healed and I kept that intention going and I kept the intention going that, well, I just haven't found the right person yet, but I will. And I kept that going until I did find the right person and then got healed. And I'm, you know, after we're finished, I'll be going to a hit class and they're all a bunch of 30 year olds and I'm keeping up with them. And nice. so, so I knew that and I kept that in my head. I tell you what I kept in my head too, David. I like a, a show called Strictly Come Dancing over here in the UK where I am, which is like dancing to the stars okay. and watching people dance. And I love the idea of learning ballroom dancing. So I kept imagining myself doing ballroom dancing, Latin dancing, all of that stuff. That's what I kept in my head. I even shuffled my feet. And by the way, I got to the point where I was barely able to walk wow. for a little while before, before I got sorted. So it was, that was, all of that kept me going, but I had to do it because I am an ornery person, because I had strong belief 
that I was going to heal. And I used that, used that intention through the whole process. But it was despite the healers, despite the healers, until I found that final one. And that was very, very frustrating. And I can just imagine with somebody who, <clears throat> because we've done the magazine, What Doctors Don't Tell You Now for 32 years, and because I've done a lot of work with intention, I had an advantage that the, the other type of person who is going through this doesn't have. And as you say, there's a huge nocebo effect, you know, in just saying, I mean, we, I say in my course, become a better healer, um, you know, don't give a prognosis. And I'll well, give I mean, I'm sure advantage. you don't damage people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I mean, don't give a prognosis them, right? because you will. I mean, a perfect example of this was my mother-in-law. She was, being a little English lady, she had nursed breast cancer without telling anybody until we accidentally found out about it, sent her to her general practitioner who examined her. And he basically told us afterward, her breast was like raw meat. It was, and he said, she's got just months to live. That's it. She's too late for chemo. She's too late for any of this. So we brought her to a doctor we knew who was an integrative doctor and a real pioneer, Dr. Patrick Kingsley. He's passed now, but he had dealt with and healed thousands of cancer patients and MS patients. So he was dealing with all the so-called no-hopers and really dealing well. So here's what he did. We brought her up there and she was, you know, a little frightened about all of this going to a strange new doctor. So I went into the room with her as he talked to her. And then he said, let's have a look. And he examined her while I was in the room. And he looks at this raw meat and he says, oh, we can handle that. And I thought, yes, she's healed. She's healed. I know this is going to work. And it didn't. She lived very many more years. He healed her with, by changing her diet, giving her an intravenous cocktail of high dose vitamin C and some other supplements, et cetera, and ozone that did it, completely reversed cancer in months. So it, I saw, but I thought, well, the biggest pill he's just given her is hope. Right, right. So what we find out, again, we found all chronic disease, whether it's cancer, diabetes, obesity, Parkinson, Alzheimer's, anxiety, depression, OCD, they're all inflammatory metabolic disorders. And so what he did, first of all, hope is anti-inflammatory. Diet, of course, is anti-inflammatory. And then it's interesting because people hear about these miraculous cancer cures and it is miraculous, but it's not. It's no more miraculous than life itself, right? I mean, life is a miracle and we don't know what consciousness is. And this friend of mine, both of our friends, Bruce Lipton has pointed out really clearly that quantum physics started in 1927 and it's been around for a long time. And somehow it, we're still in this Newtonian physics, which is structural, is irrelevant. And if you really want to doubt quantum physics, look at the atomic bomb. And this is more than a theory. So we're energy, we're energy creatures in an energetic field. And somehow the human bodies harness the universe's energy to do what we're doing right now, talking in consciousness. But in medicine, as much as we want to quantify things, we don't know why we can talk to each other, recognize each other, have conversations. We have no idea. It's way beyond us. So tapping into this really large, big power is a big deal. So it's, it's, it's not based on something out there. It's based much more in science than the current sciences. 
And so, and then do you, do you know Dr. Bernie Siegel by chance? Oh, I know him well, yeah. Yeah, so he and I are good friends. We talk a lot back and forth and, and we've, we've actually taught each other a lot. And then, and it was interesting as a, as a surgeon, you know, I was, I really ignored this stuff for at least 20 out of my 30 years, maybe longer. And then I was in deep trouble myself and I was able to inadvertently tap into my own capacity to heal. And I had 17 really upsetting symptoms, including migraines, removing my ears, back pain, neck pain, skin rashes. They're all gone. They're all gone. And so again, I still am on a journey. Um, surgeons' personalities don't change overnight. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, but it's so interesting. The hard part about this healing process is that you we're all used to fixing ourselves. You become self-centered. And really the energy is about reaching out and connecting with yourself, but you have to connect to yourself before you can connect to others. But as you connect to others, you then connect to yourself. It's a bi-directional process. Yeah, then, it's a bi-directional process because I am familiar with that Cole study, by the way. I remember that thing where they looked at pleasure seekers versus those who were lived a life of service. And it was fascinating. And for me, it, it really underscored one thing, which is in the personal development field, um, we are so used to the term self-help. And I started thinking, wow, that whole idea might be very dangerous and inflammatory, this constant focus on the self, whereas other <laughs> focus seems to be extraordinarily healing. And as you say, altruism and, and social connection also, I mean, connection can stop uh, genetic expression as they've seen in many studies, it can protect you against heart attacks, strokes, even the common cold. And so this kind of idea of other connection really has an other connection and other focus has a self-healing effect. And I'll tell you the biggest example of that. Since 2008, I started surveying participants of my intention experiments you know, so as soon as they participate, they have to sign up. I send them a survey and basically say, okay, how was it for you? Now, what I have got back consistently is a kind of mirror effect so that the people who process, remember, they're all participating in some sort of altruistic act. Mostly what I've been focusing on is peace experiments. So trying to lower violence in a war-torn area or whatever. And we've consistent, and we've worked with professors of statistics at the University of California to analyze the results. And we've had some extraordinary results. I mean, a 43% lowering of violence in a portion of St. Louis, Missouri, compared to all of its surrounding areas, just the area we focused on, violence went down 43% compared to its three year prior trajectory. So one experiment like that doesn't prove anything, but we've had 10 now and they've all consistently shown this, but that's not the interesting part of the story. What's really interesting is what happens to the participants. So what we found is participating in something like that, their lives start becoming more peaceful. Um, they start report, they report in the thousands that they've made up with their estranged child or partner. They're getting along far better with their boss or their coworkers. Um, uh, they you know, made up with their mother 
or whatever. And more, most importantly, about half report they're more in love with everybody they come in contact with. You know, they're, they're hugging strangers basically. But also about 40% report huge, huge um, uh, physical effects, improvements or cures in all kinds of conditions. So this kind of interesting mirror effect is all part of that altruism getting off of yourself thing. And many times when I'm working with the people I work with on intention groups and power of eight groups, sometimes when people aren't getting better or sometimes if life isn't improving in them, I often say, get off of yourself. In fact, that's one of my key, key messages is get off of yourself. Do an intention for someone else. And so many times, so many times, invariably doing that heals the healer. Well, I love the way you're wording this because here's my biggest challenge. <clears throat> so we're all programmed to fix ourselves, but we're, we're focused on the problem. So you, we try to correct our mistakes to create a new life. And so I talk about learning a new language is that as you learn French, you have to practice French, learn French, and you're not going to learn French by trying to fix your English. You've got to focus on what you're trying to learn. And so my thing is you want to learn how to live an enjoyable, functional life, and you're not going to get there by actually trying to fix the old one. You've got to actually move into the new one. And so I have a little saying now that to have a good life, you have to live a good life. It takes practice. And so as you move into this new life, you're moving away from the anxiety physiological threat circuits and onto this new life. And so there's two parts of healing. One is actually learning how to empirically process the survival response, which is a gift, by the way. We would not be alive without anxiety, but it's a million times more powerful than the conscious brain. So as you learn to empirically just process that reactivity, you move into your new life. That's where the healing occurs as you move into this new life. So what you're saying, and we could talk for hours about the neuroscience behind what you're doing, but it is so dead on. I mean, I mean it's remarkably dead on. And, and I'm excited you discovered this and i'm just so excited i mean it's really cool so thank um you. thank you so what so to wrap things up here a little bit i'm just curious you've done you've accomplished a tremendous amount i'm so impressed with what you've accomplished what would you which two things what's your where do you see this going what, you, what are you trying to go forward with and what's your sort of message to the world you're trying to bring to the world okay two great questions david thank you well, you know, in a way, initially, I got hijacked into this. <laughs> right. I was just trying to find out why spiritual healing works. And suddenly, I came upon a brand new science. Now, as you say, it wasn't a new science. It's an old science. It was right. the science I was looking at was at least 40 years old. And the quantum physics is 100 years old. Right. But right. I then got more and more interested. But after that first book, I realized if we're on the brink of a new science, that changes everything. That changes the way we need to be. We essentially have to build over scorched ground because, you know, if we're not separate, we have created a, lives, a life and a society based on an outdated model, a Newtonian Darwinian model of competitive individualism. Right, and absolutely. So we now know we're not that. We're creatures that need to connect. We need to belong. We need to give. We need to be fair. 
we need this kind of connection in every way and the, and we need altruism too. We need to give. So and in order to live a good and balanced and healthy and joyful life. So we need to create new structures. So my message, I, I suppose, first of all, my own path is really to continue on this work because I keep discovering more and new. And as you say, the power of eight, which really revealed to me our inner capacity to heal was essentially gifted to me. So I feel, first of all, I have to be a gatekeeper to make sure it's used properly. Right. And that's one thing that I do. But the other thing I realize is I'm a writer above everything else. And so I need to continue to communicate these capacities, these, and re help re to reveal the new science, the new way we need to live, which I did in my book, The Bond. But my, I guess my message is, it's not somebody else's problem now. I mean, it, we can all see that as Bruce Lipton says, you know, we're on the brink of, I think it's the third stage of extinction or something like that, right. that we are, you know, on the brink of eating our own children now. We're destroying our planet. We are, our, our systems are falling down. We now have an us and them, a huge us and them crisis in the world. And we are polarized as never before. So we're used to thinking that the big people in charge can fix things, but we suddenly have recognized that they really don't know what to do and they are themselves frozen um, through extraordinary corruption. So we need to do it and it has to start small. So what I say, as all big movements do, they start as Margaret Mead famously said, with a small group, it's the only thing that ever changes things. So that's why I encourage people to create power of eight groups, because with these power of eight groups, as many groups that I've seen around the world do, they can start making change. And that starts moving out bit by bit by bit from their neighborhoods to their communities to the planet. No, it's fantastic. No, I agree. It's going to have to come from the average person and we're going to demand change in ourselves. And, and then you can't demand it in other people. You just have to let it evolve and affect other people around you, of course. But I think what's sort of hard for both of us right now is that we both have seen possibilities and we've seen people really heal consistently. And as you know, once you tap into your healing power, in a way, it's not that hard. So it's sort of hard to watch what's possible versus what's happening we all have choice and we make a choice to either thrive and move forward or we, you know, we stay stuck. And so I I'm really applaud your efforts. I'm really excited about what you're doing. And um, I'm just learning about you as we go. As far as your, when you talk about the power of eight, I'm assuming in your book, the power of eight, that's how you discuss how to put the groups together and how to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a, a, a basic, I have a basic program there. And then, of course, I always teach, I teach all sorts of classes about Power of Eight Works, the new science, how, you know, all of the techniques, as I've discovered, <clears throat> which are a mix of uh, the latest science and ancient wisdom, all of the techniques that I, that seem to work best in intention, I distilled down to a simple program. So I can all kinds of courses. 
And as far as the one place to access your resources, what's your website again? It's lynnmctaggart.com. Got it. And can you spell McTaggart? Because I keep spelling it wrong. Sure. It's Lynn with an E, L-Y-N-N-E-M-C, capital T-A-G-G-A-R-T. A-R-T. I keep saying E-R-T. So it's McTaggart, lynnmctaggart.com, right? That's it. That's it. And I'm so excited to talk to you and get to know you. And um, again, I'm a huge fan of collaboration, 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 because that's how the collective energy gets transmitted. And so I've been excited to work with Booz Lipton. Now I'm excited to meet you. And, and to me, it's just been a really incredibly interesting journey. Um, yeah, it's just been very interesting for me, journey for me personally. So I really appreciate your efforts and, and thank you for your time. Well, thank you. And you are a rare doctor. David and Les would love to hear from you about today's podcast and any ideas for future topics. You can email them at david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. That's david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.